from South Carolina Public Radio. This is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on January 16th, 2023 from A.T. Shire's home here in Columbia. Happy Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, by the way. And just so you know, some of the information on this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. Now, this is a shorter episode in light of the holiday weekend, and it features an interview with Jeffrey Collins of the Associate Press about the 3-2 decision by the state Supreme Court to invalidate the state's six-week abortion ban law and what the steps forward look like this session. South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan also has a detailed report on gentrification in Greenville and its impact on historically black neighborhoods in the area. Of course, we have our live taping coming up this month. We have a live taping alert for you folks. Join me, AT, and status reporters Jeffrey Collins and Mayon Schechter for our live lead taping event during South Carolina Public Radio's 50th anniversary open house event on Saturday, January 28th. This is free and open to the public, but you need to RSVP, which you can do on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org, where you can also find all the details about this. That's right, folks. Our first live taping of 2023, January 28th. Open house at South Carolina Public Radio from 5 to 7, and then the lead taping. Find it all on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And of course, the lead loves hearing from everyone, from the people in power to the people that hold the power, which is y'all. So tell us what's on your mind, your hot takes, your unpopular opinions, or questions you want answered. We want to hear from you. And you can do that by leaving a voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world at 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina, currently the spread of COVID-19 is high according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We'll have more data for you from DHEC in Saturday's podcast. Like most of last year, we are again focusing a good bit of our coverage on the abortion debate, especially since the state Supreme Court ruled 3-2 to strike down the six-week abortion ban law that was passed in February 2021 as unconstitutional. The controversial decision came down on January 5th and, to an extent, has thrown a wrench in the legislative session, where even Republican leaders are trying to accomplish more than just getting bogged down on abortion, which they stress is important, along with a litany of other legislation. But we wanted to get more reaction from this ruling, so I spoke with Associated Press's Jeffrey Collins, friend of the pod, who has been covering the abortion debate for years. And I asked him on This Week in South Carolina exactly what the initial fallout is looking like in the state house and what can be gleaned from that 150-page ruling. Yeah, I think they, and, and I think it also highlights exactly how divisive this issue was in the Supreme Court chambers. I mean, you, you know, typically you get maybe two, maybe three different opinions on an, on an issue at the most, because I mean, you know, they want, they want to speak as one voice. They're one court. They kind of, they would prefer to speak as one voice if possible. And even if you read through the, the footnotes and everything, I mean, they were talking back and forth to each other. I mean, you know, they were, they were picking apart each other's arguments in their own opinions. I mean, which is a fairly rare event too. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, like I said, they came at it from different directions. I mean, Justice Few mentions in there that perhaps instead, if they, if the legislature had completely outlawed abortion or maybe passed a personhood bill, which gives you know an embryo all the rights of a living, breathing human being from the moment of conception, maybe the thing comes out differently because they could look at it. You know, there's not a right to privacy in a rape case, so if you make it illegal to kill an embryo 
then maybe you've eliminated that privacy argument altogether. And he was one of the three. I mean, there's, there's, that's the thing. It's just a lot to, to, uh, to kind of digest in all this and a lot to deal with. And that's part of the reason it's going to kind of hang over this session is because everybody's going to have to figure out what it means. I mean, our arguments in the summer and the fall over the special session were very narrow. It was like, do you keep the heartbeat bill? Do you add exceptions? What do you do? So like, there's just two poles. It was kind of like you add more exceptions or you make it a, you know, or you, you know, completely ban abortion. The whole spectrum of abortion is open now. I mean, right now in South Carolina, it's you know roughly available up to 20 weeks according to the law. And you know, I don't think any Republican wants 20 weeks. But where do you fall? Do you fall at six? Do you fall at 12 weeks? I mean, there's there's just going to be a lot to debate and a lot to sort through over the next you know three months or so. And that's essentially what the court tossed back to lawmakers. Uh, you know, they didn't they didn't want to rule on six, seven, 20, whatever. They they said we can't. This is an abortion. You uh, essentially you have the right to privacy. So we're not going to delineate what that looks like in the state. That's your job over across the street at the state house. Well, and you know, a couple of things that popped out of the the the, the majority opinions. You know, Kay Hearn, Justice Kay Hearn, her opinion mentions that, you know, six weeks just isn't enough time for a woman to realize she's pregnant and to make a decision. So, you know, the Justice Hearn suggested maybe there's a right to maybe there's a point where the right to privacy and abortion meet maybe a little further along, although she doesn't specify that. That's up to the legislature, in her opinion. Justice Few, you know, again, in his uh, in his opinion, he basically told lawmakers that the problem, one of the bigger problems, is the abortion law was a Frankenstein kind of thing. I mean, they kept building upon it, you know, from what was passed in the 70s after Roe versus Wade. They just kind of kept adding pieces to it to the point where there, it's just there's parts that disagree with each other, and there's parts that that don't make sense, and it's not even what the crime of giving in of uh, performing illegal abortion really isn't very well defined at all in it. And that's one thing the Senate wanted to do. The Senate could not pass uh, an abortion ban in the special session, but senators at least urged the House to accept their bill that did kind of that kind of cleaned up the language in the abortion bill that they hoped would put off the Supreme Court. The House refused to even do that. And here we are. Yeah, we'll definitely get into the ramifications playing out at the State House in a moment, Jeffrey. I just want to keep drilling down a little bit more on this opinion. Uh, again, we're talking about that uh, constitutional right in our state's constitution. We're one of 10 states, like I said, that has a right to privacy written into our, our constitution that was added in 1971. And I'm going to just go ahead and read it for folks because it was driven by worries uh, about advances in technology and electronic devices at the time. But the section reads, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures and unreasonable invasions of privacy shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched, the person or thing to be seized and the information to be obtained. Now, I didn't read anything specifically in there like they keep talking about, you know, when it comes to electronic uh, information, dissemination like, but um, we did hear from Justice George James saying his dissent that we must consider the intent of the framers. So we're kind of going to go to this originalism versus textualism versus living document type uh, interpretations here and about the voters who passed the constitutional amendment. So in part of his dissent, he writes that heightened Fourth Amendment protections, especially protection from law enforcement searches and seizures of communications and information through the improper use of electronic devices. That's how he interprets what the intent was at the time. So we're really, again, getting into this back and forth over originalism, textualism, and folks thinking that the, the bench is legislating there. And again, they all wrote their own separate opinions there. So a lot to shake out, too, especially when we start looking at uh, how some lawmakers want to start evaluating future judges for the court. 
the argument is, you know, this this amendment was suggested by the West Commission back in the late 1960s, and they were put together to kind of figure out ways to clean up South Carolina's 1895 Constitution, the one that was written during segregation, the one that's quite frankly a very racist document. I mean, so they and and so that privacy amendment, the people that don't like this decision argued that, you know, their point was electronic communications. They didn't want the government to wiretap. You know, Justice Hearn, on the other end, wrote a very personal, you know, the only woman on the Supreme Court wrote a very personal, you know, point that back when this commission, this commission had no women in the 1960s. At the point they were formed, women couldn't serve on a jury. So, you know, she's like, why are we interpreting this thing done in the 1960s at a time when women didn't have the rights that they have today, even close, when they were very much second-class citizens in this state. And to the point of judicial elections, this becomes a very interesting issue. I mean, again, to talk about Justice Hearn, she's 72 years old. South Carolina requires its, its judges to retire at age 72. So this is it. She's, uh, you know, she's got just a few months left in her term. Um, there will be an election, I believe, on February 1st to replace her. Um, South Carolina's Lawmakers choose judges. And so what they've done is there's a screening commission that discerns if these people are qualified for the job. They have determined three candidates are qualified. So there's three candidates right now to replace Justice Hearn. Right now, we're at the point where they're talking to lawmakers informally is what's being done. So, um, you know, it's funny. At the state house, there is a... Uh, there's a garage. Everybody parks in the garage and you have to walk up a ramp to get to the escalator. Well, there's certain rules about when judge judicial candidates can talk to lawmakers. So one of the things that they do is they stand at the bottom of that ramp and they talk to lawmakers as they go up the ramp to go to session. Well, these ramp conversations are become, going to become a lot more interesting. I mean, you know, I think every almost every leader in the House and Senate have said that they expect there to be one-on-one -on -one conversations about judicial philosophy. You know, they, 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 you know, judicial canon doesn't mean they can't ask specifically, hey, how are you going to rule on abortion? But you can ask them, you know, what do you think? Do you, do you strictly interpret the words of the Constitution? What's your judicial philosophy? How do you look at this? And so I think there's going to be some long, hard discussions on how we screen judges. I think maybe you're going to see some people urge not just this qualification screening, but also maybe there will be some questions about judicial judicial philosophy asked. And I think also the way lawmakers approach selecting judges will change. I mean, South Carolina has a long tradition of geography-based decision-making. I mean, you know, we try to like even out our boards so they have somebody from each of the 16 judicial circuits or the seven congressional districts so they're nice and even geographically. And there was an informal system on the Supreme Court to make sure that, you know, you didn't have four judges from Charleston and one from Greenville. You know, you have one from Greenville, one from Columbia, one from, you split them up around the state, one from the PD. I think they're going to that ge geographic kind of informal system. I don't think you're going to see that happen much anymore. You can find that full interview on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. Are you thinking of moving to downtown Greenville? A lot of people are. Even Forbes and CNN are calling it one of the best places to live in the country. But that's a lot more true if you're white and have money than if you're black and already live there. 
Scott Morgan takes a look at how the return of wealthier white residents to Greenville is erasing the city's historically black neighborhoods. Let's take a walk. You know, miss seeing you walking or something like that. Hey, Phyllis, how are you? You know, if the weather were nice at all, our walk around this neighborhood with Inez Morris would be perfect. This is a lovely place in the sunshine. So yeah, so these are the kind of people we want to see in the neighborhood, stay in the neighborhood. Morris is giving me an inventory of a neighborhood, the village of West Greenville to be exact, her neighborhood, which has changed a lot in the past 10 or 15 years. This very diverse, very eclectic neighborhood was redeveloped to be that way, with a lot of help from Morris's church, Bethel Bible Missionary, which ensured that Homes of Hope and Habitat for Humanity invested heavily here. But it wasn't long ago that West Greenville was one of those places nobody with a choice would touch, historically black, historically neglected, and plagued by crime. 15, 20 years ago, no one wanted to live in West Greenville. West Greenville was a neighborhood where you only came because you were going to buy drugs or crime or, or not a good place, not a good place to live, especially after the mills closed and the transition of um, the neighborhood changing from, you know, a predominantly nice neighborhood to a very bad neighborhood. But gone is the stigma. Present are the Cape Cod homes and Craftsman refurbs developed on the backs of affordability, because this used to be a super cheap place to buy a house. To come are projects like Woven, a not universally loved 214-unit complex that does not have affordability as its first priority. And such is the metaphor for this neighborhood's rapid change, from historically black district in disrepair to zip code with a waiting list. And all this change has come with quite a literal price tag. And both these two houses sold for about anywhere between two seventy-five and three hundred thousand dollars. These two smallish houses wouldn't have sold for anything close to that just a few years ago. But property developers and flippers like neighborhoods like West Greenville, San Susi, Nickeltown, Augusta Road, historically poor black places identified as special interest neighborhoods and targeted for rehab, where cheap property and existing infrastructure make for good investment and better resale. We have a diversity of people, but we also have now where houses are being built and sold for $500,000. There are still black neighbors here in West Greenville, in addition to Inez Morris and her friend Phyllis from a few minutes ago. But neighborhoods like this are the sharpest examples of how the racial demographics of the city of Greenville have changed over the past decade. So in the past five years, Greenville has recouped its population of what it had 60 years ago. This is Ken Cobb, sociology department chair at Furman University, and he has a caveat. The overall population numbers have bounced back, but very much not proportionally. If you divide the population by black and white population, you can see that there's been a slow and steady decline uh, over the years of the black population. But in the last 10 years, we've seen an explosive growth in the new white population. Without getting too into the weeds, Greenville in the 1960s saw the same white flight as any other post-industrial American city at the time. Properties became cheap because nobody wanted to live there, much less buy there. Jumped to a half century later, and wealthier whites started moving back to Greenville's city center and into neighborhoods like West Greenville, just two miles from downtown. We've recouped the population of 1960, uh, but it's really all on the backs of these new white households, which are much wealthier households than the ones that left in the 1960s. 
Newly released data from Furman's ongoing project looking into the effects of gentrification in the city show the scale of the city's demographic shift since the 1990s. The historic black neighborhoods of Greenville have seen a 53% decline in the number of black residents. Uh, at the same time, the white population in those same neighborhoods has nearly doubled. Um, and there's 13 historically black neighborhoods that ring the city of Greenville, and one of those in particular, Haney Serene, has seen an 85% decline in the black population over the past 30 years. If you're At Furman University, Mike Winiski shows me a couple of maps. And you can see within this green city boundary here that mostly what's going on inside the city is you're getting a reduction in, in black population, which we showed earlier. But you can see in the surrounding areas, you see areas, especially to the, to the east, um, northeast, and southeast, that our black population is growing. Winiski is the director of the Center of Applied Sustainability Research at Furman and on the research team charting the seismic demographic shift Greenville City is undergoing. When he talks about surrounding areas on this map, he's talking about Greenville County areas that lie just outside the city. These are the areas where it costs less to rent, and they're where the city's black residents are increasingly moving to, because they can't compete with white residents moving in. I just made a graph here to show Okay, you've got um, white median household income way high up the scale compared to black households. So white's about 74000 a year. Black median household income's about twenty-eight. Again, not to get too into the weeds, but rental affordability is generally measured on a scale between 40 and 80 percent of area median income. 80 percent of $28,000 is $22,400. We've basically taken the area median income. We haven't broken that down by race. Uh, you're still that range is still out of reach of most black households. Greenville City's median one-bedroom apartment is about $1,100 a month. And as black residents get displaced to suburbs in the county, there's also this problem. Um, when you look at displacement, but the, the blue lines there that you're looking at is our public transportation system. So another complicating factor in all this is where is our transportation, our public transit centered? It's where the displacement is happening. So as people get displaced into the county, they're getting further, further away from um, public transit, which is just making working in the city that much more difficult and getting to resources in the city, like the new park. That would be Unity Park, the city's $66 million linchpin public space, Ken Cobb. And this park is located uh, between two historically black communities, Southern Side and West Greenville. Uh, and while it's uh, a wonderful engine of investment that's uh, spurring all sorts of housing growth and uh, new apartment complexes, uh, at the same time, over the past 30 years, that area has lost 47% of its black residents. Back in West Greenville, Inez Morris and I head back toward the comparatively warm interior of Bethel Bible Missionary Church, where we met up. She likes Unity Park, but not without some nuance. And definitely, I actually sat on the advisory board for the park, and I was for the park. I was part of the neighborhood representation. Uh, but yeah, it has definitely changed the trajectory of the neighborhood uh, because it's being advertised. The neighborhood now, anytime somebody puts a home up for sale, it's being advertised as being close to to Unity Park. She says the city wants to add some more senior housing to the Unity Park area and some more affordable units. Whether that will be enough to stem what has become Greenville City's growing black flight, she's less certain about. 
You can find that piece of reporting by Scott Morgan on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org, where you can find plenty of other reports from South Carolina Public Radio reporters. And real quick, let's take a look at meetings taking place at the Statehouse this week and some bills of note being discussed in committees. In the Senate, a transportation subcommittee will take up S-304, which will increase the penalties for slow drivers in the left lane from $25 to $100. Move over, folks. Lead says move over. (laughs) Now, that will likely go before the full Transportation Committee on Thursday, as well as a bill outlawing the Carolina squat, S-363. The bill would prohibit the front fender of a vehicle from being four inches or more higher than the rear fender. So squat them while you got them, folks. (laughs) But please don't. And House meetings to look forward to. There are a slew of Ways and Means subcommittee hearings as the budget writing process gets in full swing. There's a Judiciary Subcommittee meeting on Thursday that will take up a fentanyl trafficking bill, H3503. The Speaker's Economic Development and Utility Modernization Ad Hoc Committee will receive testimony on Tuesday, and several other committees will be meeting to organize, elect officers, and approve rules this week. And we'll bring you the latest on Saturday's podcast. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news, and we're glad you're here. Give us a shout, tell us what's going on in your world. Popular opinions, unpopular opinions, hot takes, cold takes, anything, everything in between. Literally, literally anything. 803 563 7169. Maybe you're new to South Carolina. Maybe you've been here a while. Maybe you're old to South Carolina. It doesn't matter, okay? Let us know what's going on. Um, it's a new year. Are the resolutions still in effect? I doubt. Did it. you ever make any resolutions? No, I didn't make any. I, I made. I remember the year before. Mine was to be more hard-lined, and I don't. What does that mean? I don't know. Just to be have stauncher, less relatable takes. Ah. And I don't. I don't think it worked. I actually think that mm. I got softer. I don't know. I feel like subconsciously that might have stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that I've I've gotten softer in my old age. I used to write down resolutions in a book, like a notebook. That's embarrassing for you. And, but they would never really come true. You know, save more money, learn a language, all that stuff. Never happened. Duolingo, Rosetta Stone, yada, yada, yada. I mean, yada. I've accomplished things, but just not those things, you've which not, is fine. I, I would say you've not accomplished anything in your life. It's, I mean, it's been pretty difficult. Actually, one of my, one of my lower ones was to tear my Achilles. So. <laughs> I, I Start a, a podcast. I checked that one off. Now, if you are thinking about starting a podcast, let us just tell you. Don't do it. We're, we only do it. We're the only ones to do it. A, we're, only, we're the only ones allowed to do it. B, it's a lot of work. So really make it, think through before you start doing it because it's a lot of work. Anyway. Anyway, that's just advice, unsolicited advice. Gavin. I'm, try not to give unsolicited advice anymore. Apparently... Our chilly conversation struck a nerve. There we go. Okay. I knew something would. Yes. Finally, we've annoyed someone enough into calling us. Uncle G's chili feed. <laughs> Throw it in your sack. Uh, anyway, uh, we got a call, so are you ready? Serve warm or cold. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Room no tap. one cares. Here yeah. we go. You ready? Let's get this hot take. Hey, this is Colleen. I'm here in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm a huge advocate for public education. I used to work for the South Carolina Education Association, now work for NEA, but still live here in South Carolina. Actually calling to do a little public education about Cincinnati Chili. So AT, man, you really broke my heart when you dismissed Cincinnati Chili as that chili on spaghetti last week. So I had to call in and speak up 
for my people and the fine cuisine that is Cincinnati chili. I grew up in northern Kentucky, which is where the Cincinnati airport actually is. And if you've never had Cincinnati chili, the spaghetti thing is from its really cool history of Macedonian immigrants and Greek immigrants that came over and they put it on chili, the chili on the noodles. It's similar to something that they used to eat before they immigrated over. The original is Empress Chili. There are actually two major Cincinnati chili chains right now. The big ones are Skyline Chili and Gold Star. Of those two, the correct one is Skyline. Gold Star is just trash water with bits of meat in it. However, for the best Cincinnati chili, you have to cross over the river into northern Kentucky and head to Dixie Chili. That is the chili I grew up eating, and it is amazing. I highly recommend getting a three-way which is that chili with spaghetti AT dismissed, but with finely shredded cheddar on it. It'll come with oyster crackers and hot sauce. Either way, if you have never had Cincinnati chili, you're really missing out, and I highly recommend it. And also, I just want to say that I really appreciate everything y'all are doing with the lead. Really informative, and I look forward to hearing more. Colleen, thank you for calling to educate us on Cincinnati Chili. That was super informative um, and great hot take there, especially about which one was better. I've always heard Skyline, of course. I love trash water with bits of meat. (laughs) That's such a visual. That is a line that's going to be stuck in my head for a while, and I relate to it, okay? And I do. I have seen Skyline Chili in the freezer section of Publix here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's made a big time like that. So I don't know know if that's the right way to try it, No, we're going to have to... Cross state lines, um, <laughs> road trip it, but definitely. And it's so funny because I spent six years in Ohio. I yeah. went to school at Kent State, worked in Lima, Ohio, and then Columbus, Ohio. But I never really came across Skyline Chili. I never dabbled in it or any of that. So, I mean, obviously, those, you know, Cincinnati's further south, but I just never had the opportunity. So I'm in the same boat as you are, my friend. I just saw, because the, the Cincinnati Bengals just won their playoff game last night. So they dump all the chili out? It's instead of a Gatorade bath, it's a chili bath. Uh, <laughs> Trash water bits of meat bath. <laughs> I, I saw, I, it's the first time I was really paying attention to a, a game in Cincinnati, maybe in my whole life. And they did like drone shots of the city. Mm. And it's like a big city. It is. It's like a real looking city. It is. Wow. People are going to really have some, or Ohio transplants. I'm like, oh. you know, God bless them. They think Ohio is the best state in the world, which you have to because everyone's always dumping on Ohio. You so get, you have to fight back you as You got to gaslight yourself into that. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> everyone's always like, why'd you go to school in Ohio? I was like, well, it was far enough away from home. It's like five hours from home. Both of my brothers went to schools that had Mary or Mount in the name, and I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> and I also wanted to like go to somewhere I didn't know anybody. And also, sure. Ohio was, you know, it's a it was a political battleground state. I was kind of drawn to that because I was like, what makes this place so unique? And then Kent State also had my it's a chili. <laughs> they had my degree. Uh, they had a daily newspaper, and I got in. That was yeah, a big a big prerequisite was me getting into getting college. Getting in is so <laughs> big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it was a. Uh, Hard to get in there, but at the same time, other places might have been a little bit more challenging. <laughs> but it worked out. You know, these people with the, I got to go to this school, I got to go. Yeah, it's like these kids, you guys, you make out of college what you put into it. And like, like I said, like, it had everything I wanted. I did what I wanted to do. It was a big enough school. It worked out. Everything worked out. Here you are. And now they have the Gavin Jackson wing of political podcasting. optics. <laughs> <laughs> I do need to get, somehow get on the alumni magazine cover one of these days. Anyway, Colleen, your call, perfect transition 
into something that I needed to talk about today. Speaking oh my God, of yeah. foods to try. That sounds okay? serious. Oh, mm, On Saturday, sharp-eared listeners of this pod will know that I am an un-American man <laughs> in that I have never had a Whopper. Yes. I've never had a Big Mac. Yes. All these things. I've never had these things. I've never been to Taco Bell. Okay? Like, things like that. I, I, these quintessential American things I've not tried. And when I was at Craft and Draft on Saturday... Someone heard that I had never had a combo in my life. You know what we're talking about? Combo? Pretzel combo? A pretzel combo. You've never been on a road trip? <laughs> That's what they said. They said it's the number one best road trip food. You've had Chex Mix, yes? I've had a Chex Mix, yeah. Uh? I've had it like one time, yeah, maybe. Oh, God, okay. But uh, so they heard that I had never had a combo, a pizza combo. A single combo. One combo. <laughs> and so they stormed out of the bar. Sure. Went to the nearest gas station. Yes. Which is where you buy them. For of course. Trip. That's the only, I don't I don't know where you buy them. And then CVS, uh, bought pizza combos, stormed back in, and made me try them. Dumped them down your throat. I, I still have, I, to this day, I've only had one combo. Oh, though. just. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Just. So it tasted like the smell of cheesy dog treats. Mm-mm. Seriously. It was, it was not pleasant. And afterwards, after just having one, I feel like you have to keep eating them. Oh, you just keep eating because them. Because the flavor that lingers in your mouth is not pleasant. You need to keep eating and enhancing that. <laughs> yes. The chemical scientists at, I don't know whatever company has perfected that. DuPont. (laughs) Oh, is this Nabisco? No, it's DuPont. (laughs) Just eat your feed. Uh, Wow. Uh, So what do you eat on road trips then? Pretzels. Yeah, I guess they're just pretzels. I'm a pretzel man, straight up. So this is just a little bit more than the pretzel. It's a little bit more of that. It's more pretzel than pretzel, is what you're saying? To make it blade runnery? It's injected pretzel. (laughs) I didn't like the injection, the infusion. It's not the healthiest thing. It doesn't taste like cheese. It's probably not. It, it's not cheese, but it, I mean, it, it wasn't pleasant. I didn't like it. Uh, hopefully, uh, a Big Mac is better. Well, we got it. We when are we gonna do that? I don't know. We it, it, people are gonna have to gang bully me, gang mm-hmm. peer pressure me. Like, I, it, if you boil it down, I Gavin, I'm a performance artist, right? And it's so, disgusting. If, if we get a gang of like fifteen to twenty people there to see 15? me, fifteen, ten. Okay, 10 people. I can't just bring you a Big Mac. It, you need more than just me. No, you and like some listeners or something. Perhaps. That, that, at, at a live event, if, if they're like, this month. eat that slop, eat that slop, then that's how you get me to do it. Um, you see? Yeah. You got to plan this out. Meg's got to be there for sure. I would just like it to be a more intimate affair. Maybe it's just three of us, <laughs> uh, and we watch you eat it. The smallest room there is, so the stink really I want lingers. it to take place at a McDonald's. <sighs> now I want a Big Mac just for myself. This, maybe, is, this is horrible. Maybe we'll be filming some uh, companion pieces here, <laughs> some web pieces. Yes. Anyway, people... Let me know if there are better combos than pizza combos. There are. It was disgusting. Thank you, Colleen, <laughs> for the call. Skyline Chili. I will refrain from defaming it here henceforth. Henceforth, henceforth. with this <laughs> day and I forgive our Lord. And I will write it in the scrolls. Uh, Gavin, take it out. Have a good Martin Luther King Day. Have, Have a-, a good week. Yes. Thank you for listening to the pod and thank you, Colleen. For uh, giving us a shout, you can be like Colleen. Give us a shout at 803-563-7169. We'd love hearing from you guys. See, we got to get everyone to give us these hot takes. Get us all shaken up. Let us know what we need to do. What other food AT needs to eat. And we will document it for you. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. 
for the South Carolina lead. I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Hey, come here. Hey, we know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. All right. We know. We know. <laughs>